0: but we're going to, and it's a, obviously it's an online retreat. We're not up at wonderful Juan Dharma Center. But as we found out in June of last year, these online retreats can be just as um, effective as actually being uh, together in this in one place. Uh, I think one of the reasons why, or I know one of the reasons why our retreats are so successful in developing the Dharma is they're, they're structured very much like the original Sangha from 2,600 years ago. In other words, when we gather as a Sangha, we agree that we're going to focus just on what the Buddha taught, just on his Dhamma. And that's one of his rules. Uh, These are called the Patimoksha, the rules of the Sangha, meaning that when you're gathered as a Sangha, you speak only about the Dhamma. And in that way, we support each other in staying well-focused. And that relates directly to tonight's Sutta. I, I chose this one to start the retreat. And again, it's another one that I've taught often because it puts such a... Um, an inspirational and very compassionate focus by Siddhartha Gautama on just what to do with his Dhamma. But also, how you, when you listen to the sutta, put yourself back 2,600 years ago, and here's a group of people uh, in Savati, very comfortable with themselves, who have agreed to develop the Dhamma. And here Siddhartha Gautama sits down with his friends. Again, there was no hierarchy back then. He sits down with his friends and he gives them this incredible advice out of pure compassion married with pure wisdom. And all that the Buddha is teaching here is the importance of staying focused on the Eightfold Path. So it's a very good lead-in into what we're going to develop over this weekend. Many of you have um, quite a bit of experience in living within the framework of the Eightfold Path, and this weekend will only deepen that understanding. And those of you that are um, somewhat new to the Dhamma, uh, you're going to gain a much deeper understanding of just how important that is. A mind that's conditioned away from the truth, from four noble truths, naturally is inclined to avoid the truth, meaning that the truth, as the Buddha teaches his Dhamma. And so we'll always want to, with that type of mind, a mind that's not resting in jhana, we'll always want to adapt and accommodate what we're hearing to fit our views rather than recognizing that the reason why I'm engaged in Dhamma practice is because I once suffered from something called wrong view. And the Dhamma takes us from that place of, of abject suffering, whether we realize it or not, to the joy and liberation of living within right view. And so in a very real sense, developing the Dhamma means we simply change our mind about who we are in relation to the world. But we change our minds from a fabricated way of looking at ourselves and the world we live in to reality as expressed as Four Noble Truths. So again, the Buddha taught a very refined and well-focused Dhamma, and that Dhamma is called Four Noble Truths. They're noble, using that word noble. uh, I used to wonder, why, why are they noble? What does it really mean? And I finally realized that they're noble truths because they relate to awakening. In other words, that the first noble truth is suffering arises. Well, that's a noble truth because it relates to the Dhamma as opposed to it's dark here on the East Coast, so it's it's dark outside. Well, that's the truth. But that it's 723 and dark outside has no bearing on the Dhamma. It's a truth, but it's not a noble truth. So I hope everybody's following that. The the four noble truths relate to the Dhamma. They relate to liberation, they relate to developing a common, peaceful mind. So the 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 um, the guidance that the Buddha is given here. Reflects just that. Keep it focused. So this is the Agantuka Sutta subtitle for all who reside in the Dhamma. The Buddha's words. Friends, I will teach the value of developing direct knowledge and profound wisdom. Like all the Buddha Sutta, the first line gives us all the direction we need. The Buddha's Dhamma is about developing direct knowledge and profound wisdom. Not conceptual knowledge. Not something that I might say, if you, if you say... A hundred Hail Marys. Everybody knows what a Hail Mary is, I think. When you say a hundred prayers, when you die, you're going to go to heaven. Well, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. It doesn't relate to the Four Noble Truths. It certainly doesn't relate to the Dhamma, which is about changing the way that I think about myself in relation to the world, not about gathering and developing more fabricated beliefs that only distract me from this moment's reality. I'm just going to say that again, just for emphasis. Friends, I will teach you the value of developing direct knowledge and profound wisdom. Listen carefully. (coughs) Excuse me. Suppose there is a guest house where people from all directions and all, all professions and positions take residence. In this same way, anyone who cultivates and methodically practices a noble eightfold path will comprehend with direct knowledge and profound wisdom whatever phenomena are to be are to be comprehended with direct knowledge and profound wisdom. That's a that's a narrowing of our focus, isn't it? Whatever phenomena are to be d- developed through direct knowledge and profound wisdom. And again, the Buddha is emphasizing the whole point of his Dhamma, is direct knowledge, a direct experience of human reality. Furthermore, they will abandon whatever phenomena are to be abandoned through direct knowledge and profound wisdom. What phenomena are to be abandoned? Any phenomena that has ignorance attached to it is to be recognized and abandoned. And that's not a, um, a long, drawn-out analytical process. It's using the framework of the eightfold, eightfold Path to recognize our fabrications. Why do we need to do that? Because a mind that is conditioned towards fabrication will not see them. They'll develop other practices so-called spiritual practices that distract them away from looking at what's actually occurring in their mind and so have no possibility to to change the way they think in relation to the world. The Buddha's, that's the the radical difference that Siddhartha Gautama taught in relation to everybody else what they were teaching at the time. You remember even in the Adhattapirayaya Sutta where the Buddha's describing his experiences with all these wonderful teachers but misguided teachers and how he studied their dharmas and rejected them out of hand, not because they were hurtful, but they simply didn't lead to the Buddha's goal of direct knowledge and profound wisdom. So he simply discarded that. Furthermore, they will experience whatever phenomena are to be experienced through direct knowledge and profound wisdom. What is that? What what phenomena is to be directly experienced? It's the life as life occurs through the framework of the Eightfold Path. So the phenomena that's arising and passing away within the framework of the Eightfold Path is exactly the same phenomena that's arising and passing away without the framework. So what's the difference? If we had a few more times, I'd go around because I'd like to hear your answers, but I'll give you the answer. The answer is the way your view is of what's occurring. And if it's a self-referential, self-centered view, there's going to be stress and suffering. If it's a view that is free of self-reference, Then we will describe this person as an awakened human being and their mind will be calm and at peace no matter what's occurring. That's what we're all developing here this weekend and during our practice. Furthermore, they will develop whatever phenomena are to be developed through direct knowledge and profound wisdom. Again, what phenomena? The phenomena of the Eightfold Path. So phenomena are not just um, physical objects. In fact, it's more clearly to see phenomena in reference to the Dhamma as anything that's occurring in my mind. Anything. And again, if what's occurring in my mind is framed by the Eightfold Path, then what's occurring in my mind will continue to incline my mind towards liberation and freedom. And if not, it can my mind can only continue to further the ignorance that I'm clinging to. The second part of the of the second noble truth, isn't it? Craving for and clinging to ignorant views. The Buddha continues and which phenomena are to be comprehended with direct knowledge and profound wisdom? Again, there's nothing left for chance here, is there? The form aggregate, the feeling aggregate, the perception aggregate, the mental fabrication aggregate, and the consciousness aggregate. What are those aggregates? Those are the five clinging aggregates. What The five clinging aggregates are the Buddha's description of the ongoing personal experience of ignorance. So while the five clinging aggregates are a fabricated view there's still a, a human reality known as suffering from clinging these five aggregates together and insisting that they're me. So when the Buddha would describe dukkha, he would always describe it this way. Birth is suffering, dukkha, meaning as a, not the act of being born, although my mother told me for many years how much suffering it was for her. It's, it's the act of having a human life. Birth is suffering. Sickness is suffering, dukkha. Aging is suffering. Death is suffering. Not getting what is desired is suffering, getting what is undesired is suffering. And then sometimes the Buddha would elaborate a little bit more, but he would always conclude this statement on describing dukkha by saying this, in short, the five clinging aggregates are dukkha. That's what the Buddha just described here. So again, the five clinging aggregates are our own personal experience of suffering due to a wrong view of self in relation to the world. And which phenomena are to be abandoned with direct knowledge and profound wisdom? Ignorance and craving for becoming. Remember uh, the Mullah Sutta, craving for becoming and craving for non- non-becoming. Uh, ignorance and craving for becoming, in parentheses, further ignorant, are the phenomena to be abandoned with direct knowledge and profound wisdom. It's just this one thing. It's ignorance and a very specific ignorance. Ignorance of Four Noble Truths is the phenomena to be abandoned with direct knowledge and profound wisdom. So again, the Buddha is describing a thought process as phenomena. Again, just to, just to reiterate, it's not just physical objects. It's more... It's the, the confusion that arises in our mind is by clinging to thoughts as phenomena, as real. And just because I think of it and I attach myself to a certain thought, uh, I got to be the world's greatest meditation teacher. As soon as I create that in my mind, It's an obvious fabrication, isn't it? But it does become my reality. Even though it has no basis in human reality, it doesn't matter who the world's greatest meditation teacher is, in my mind, I am now condemned to to live that role out. And when when I find out that maybe I'm not the world's greatest meditation teacher, what happens to me? I'm distraught. I might even give up. But that's the point. We have to be seeing things clearly if we're going to extricate ourselves from our fabrication through direct knowledge and profound wisdom. The Buddha continues, knowledge with regards to stress and release from ignorance of Four Noble Truths are the phenomena to be experienced with direct knowledge and profound wisdom. And which phenomena are to be developed with direct knowledge and profound wisdom? A calm mind and insight into the three marks of existence are the phenomena to be developed with direct knowledge and profound wisdom. Every one of you would agree that that's certainly a, a something that's possible for any human being to develop, don't you? we can talk more about that later. And how does anyone who cultivates and methodically practices the Noble Eightfold Path, through direct knowledge and profound wisdom, comprehend appropriate phenomena, abandon appropriate phenomena to be abandoned, and experience appropriate phenomena and develop that appropriate phenomena? Anyone who develops right view, dependent on seclusion and on dispassion and on cessation of ignorance, That results in release from wrong views, another direct and declarative statement. Through our own efforts, we release ourselves from all views rooted in wrong view, or that can be classified as a wrong view, excuse me. And any view that is not inclusive of the Four Noble Truths is a wrong view. And as we develop the Dhamma, our lives become much simpler because of that, because of incorporating the four noble truths as our human truth and abandoning all the phenomena through direct knowledge and profound wisdom that no longer relate to that. Excuse me. I took some... I took a couple of Tylenol, I shit, and It didn't agree with me. Um, without food. Um... So there's nothing to, there's nothing external to acquire in the Buddhist domain, And what I'm referring to now is the idea of merit or even being noticed in, in some way by a, a, an external force or, or a governing creative power. I mean, I could simplify that phrase by just saying a god uh, or divas. It has nothing to do with that. And the Buddha never discounted that idea as far as an ultimate reality. He simply said, ignore it because the belief in it is rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. It doesn't develop that common peaceful mind of understanding what it means to be a human being in this moment, in this life. So you've heard me say over and over again, that the dhamma resolves itself in life as life occurs through the practice of wise restraint, meaning knowing how to restrain my mind in this moment and not grasp after or attach to fabrications. And again, how do I do that? Through direct knowledge and profound wisdom. Furthermore, they develop right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation. That is dependent on seclusion, dependent on dispassion, dependent on cessation that results in release from clinging to wrong views. Notice the dependencies there. There's a certain way to practice the Dhamma that will lead to the ultimate conclusion of awakening. Practicing the Eightfold Path as described, including right meditation, that is dependent on seclusion. And this seclusion is not just the seclusion we establish in right meditation or jhana meditation. Lorna was very good at explaining this. Um, The the seclusion that we're talking about is both that physical seclusion that we establish to um, skillfully enable a jhana meditation practice, but also from that well-concentrated mind, we're able to, to maintain a secluded mind out into the world meaning a mind that is framed by the eightfold path and is no longer affected by the by the ever changing and misunderstood phenomena arising and passing away it's a calm and peaceful mind and again the buddha is giving us such a a clear and direct picture of what it means to be awakened and does anybody here again just a rhetorical question does anybody here that you believe that they can't do that of course not the buddha's dhamma is incredibly simple and direct it just requires all eight factors of the Eightfold Path, including right intention and right effort. We're going to get more into that in week four and five and six. Um, But it is the Eightfold Path that guides our practice. Not even what we think about the Eightfold Path, because if if we take it apart too much or analyze it too much, we're going to lose that too and continue. The Buddha continues, In this way, anyone who cultivates and methodically practices the Noble Eightfold Path, will, with direct knowledge and profound wisdom, comprehend phenomena to be comprehended, abandon phenomena to be abandoned, experience phenomena to be experienced, and develop phenomena to be developed. That's the end of the Agantuka Sutta. Thank you for listening. So again, when I mean, you hear you say this often, and, and I, I think you all get it, about the necessity for a pure and simple Dhamma and to not embellish it with any way, in any way, or not attach it to other practices or attach other practices to it. it, it, may, it may, I see this occasionally, not, not as much as I used to, uh, with people that already have a certain meditation practice that might even be called more clearly a visualization practice. And they prefer to hang on to that rather than practice jhana meditation. And you can't get too far that way because that type of meditation doesn't increase concentration. And it requires concentration to develop profound wisdom uh and direct knowledge so um i'd like to go around the room and uh, we'll see what you have to say um and i'm going to ask melissa to join us first i know she's this is her first time with us and uh, if you're if you'd rather not talk melissa that's fine but we'd love it for you to say hello to our group Uh, let me see if i can unmute you if that's what you want you might not want it I don't seem to be able to unmute you, Melissa. If you want to uh, try it on your end again. Hi, everybody. It's Melissa. Ah, hi, Melissa. Is this oh, your first time joining us? Yes, it is. Well, welcome to our song. I hope it wasn't um, it too. I hope you had enough background information to understand what I'm talking about.
1: Yes, I did. I just had the night off from work, and I thought that I would listen to you guys because I listen to you on YouTube, and I really. Huh enjoy it a lot and i will
0: hope this weekend i'll get a couple more sessions in yes great thank you for joining us and um i i haven't posted it as you know i haven't posted a youtube video in quite a while there's some reasons for it and um i'll make an announcement soon i'm deciding if i want to associate with alphabet anymore and that's one of the main reasons i haven't put any youtube videos up but i'll let everyone know about that the audio recordings will always be posted in fact these you know i'll post these just as soon as i can as well but welcome to our saga melissa okay thank
1: you so much
0: thank you feel free to Bye. contact me anytime if you have any questions
1: all right thank you
0: great so i'm going to go to uh go to matt i'm just going to go from bottom top on my screen how are you matt well oh, maybe matt might have stepped out david how are you hello john thank
2: you for your
0: teaching Good to see you.
2: One thing that struck me, and it, it kind of got me over the feeling early on of the sacrifice of if you weren't in, when you were in right view, you were not able to enjoy yourself or love people yeah. or show Appreciation, hmm. because it it was would be seen as uh, craving, but in right yeah. view, it, I have found that it's opened me up to, you know, be able to truly appreciate and uh, love the people that are around me. Yeah, and it, there isn't that craving, uh, I understand in a short period of time, uh, impermanence and, uh, you know, not self and that dukkha is just part of my life. So yeah. just the right view, you know, I approach every day with that, with that thinking every morning I start with, am I in right view? Am I thinking
0: of these four truths? So thank you. Thank you, David. That's a, that is a profound teaching. That's the way to look at this. You know, the am I in right view or wrong view? And if, I'm in, if I find myself in wrong view, excuse me, what should I do about it? Well, the first thing you should do is beat the hell out of yourself for being in. No, I'm just kidding. The first thing you should do is, is get into the habit of being very gentle with yourself when you notice a fabrication uh, or becoming entangled in a fabrication in your own life, because that's the only way to extricate ourselves. And I'm, David reminded me of something, and I've talked often about this. One of the things that severely conditions a human being's mind is when they hurt another person, even especially inadvertently, and that creates a tension in your own mind of um, of constant self loathing, and you feel like you don't have any control in the world when you when you hurt someone inadvertently. Um, it, it, it's, it, it puts such a conditioned scar on your mind that as we develop right view from wrong view, we'll recognize that as, as such a debilitating thing that we've done to ourselves and others, to judge ourselves harshly. Even when for, externally we might say, well, you deserved it because of the way you tra- taught that, you, you, te- you, you treated that person. But that doesn't help the Dhamma, and it doesn't help us understand ourselves. So again, the most gentle thing we can do for ourselves and for all other sentient beings is to take to the Dhamma and awaken. Stop living our lives from wrong view and live, as David just described beautifully, live within the peace of right view. Because then dukkha just arises and passes away. Thank you, David. Matt, how are you tonight?
2: Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Doing well tonight, thank you. I'm excited for this uh, second online retreat that we're doing. Yeah. Um. So there's, you know, this is our Eightfold Path retreat, and you know, it, it it's good to see it resolve with right view. Yeah. Um. So there was a couple things that I just noticed there. Um. And which phenomena are to be developed with direct knowledge and profound wisdom? a calm mind and insight into the three marks of existence. Mm. That that piece there is is very essential, Um, particularly the calm mind. And so how do we do that? Well, we do that through right view and right concentration. And we'll get into this more tomorrow and throughout the weekend. But what are the concentration factors of the Eightfold Path? Right mindfulness, right meditation, right effort. Right. So that's that's all about developing a practice. And we're going to go into that again this weekend a lot. So, um, right view and the concentration factors are how we develop a calm mind, peaceful mind, and insight into three marks of existence. Right.
0: Thank you. Well said in that. Thank you. Mary, it's good to see you tonight. How are you?
3: But I, I feel like a, a parent on a Zoom call with children around. Only they're not children; it's my dog. <laughs> who, who, if I could have a bowl of kibbles right now to keep her quiet and uh, not not distracting me, I would. Um, but anyway. I'll come downstairs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what do you say, David?
3: David's gonna help me out, I think. <laughs> um, So uh, anyway, um, I think it's a great sutra to start with, um, very basic, even though of course the concepts are really big, um, but the simplicity of it is, um, you know, really focused on, uh, well, what you need to focus on, the four noble truths, what you need to abandon, wrong view, and. I was going to say the reward or the acknowledgement that you're um, going in the right direction is the direct experience and then the knowledge and wisdom that results from that. So it's a beautiful start to the the retreat. So thank you everyone.
0: Thank you, Mary. Julia, good evening.
4: Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Um, I, I always like the stories that the Buddha, you know, even though it's short and he talks about the guest house for me, th- those type of things capture my, my imagination. And so, yeah. um, the guest house, I see it as, as the self it's, it's the mind, the, the vehicle of the of perception Yeah. and, um, it, it's the perceiver, um, look, looking at the world, the impermanent world. And so in right view, we understand, um, what the, the things that we need to abandon and, um, the, the holding in mind of the April path. The guests are the various types of feelings that arise and pass away. That's brilliant. And, yeah. um, just like the guests come and visit the guest house, they come and go. Um, so feelings arise and they pass away. This is a very simple story. And, and then um, I like that the Buddha also, he, he always gives us like the micro world and then the macro world. And so yeah. you can also see it as regardless of who we are, because he has various guests coming in, it doesn't really matter as long as we go within and cultivate uh, uh, jhana and methodically practice the Eightfold Path, we'll comprehend direct knowledge and profound wisdom and be able to attain a calm and peaceful mind with dispassion and release of of binding. So I like how he does that. First, he has us within ourselves and then he expands it of course and tells us all these other people coming in different kinds of people from all walks of life of course it's it's telling us that all of us everyone has the same opportunity
0: yeah from um, for unbinding that really is that's profound I, understanding like, of it julia yeah. Oh thank you yeah to see it that way i'm sorry sure i didn't mean to interrupt you
4: no no that's okay that's it was fine john thank you
0: well, i'm glad you joined us michael how are you you know, you you guys got to get a, a panoramic camera because I can't see both of you. I, <laughs> I can't see you much anyway. But <laughs> nope,
5: no problem. I have one installed tomorrow.
0: <laughs> this way it'll be right view. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. right, right camera view. view. I,
5: guess I guess that's the real definition of right view. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, a clear lens. Exactly. Michael. <laughs> All right. I just take... Uh, when. When Julia talks, I just write down a bunch of notes and uh, I study them. this is how I learned. I'm a, I'm a hack here.
6: Far from it. Uh,
5: anyone who develops right view dependent on seclusion and on dispassion and on sensation of ignorance that results in release from wrong views. Okay, right view to me, or the way I understand it, uh, and it makes a lot of sense, uh, is right view is void of self reference. Yep. If you wanna really if you wanna have right view, you have to like even get that that piece of dust out of your eye and, and that lens has to be clean. So it's void of self-reference. Yep. That void of self-reference that's craving and clinging. Well, if those things are still in our view, then we'll go going go right back into dependent origination at some point in time. So it's to understand...
0: Wait a minute, I didn't mean to interrupt you, because I'm not sure if everybody's, everybody's going to understand that last reference, that going back to dependent origination means you, you've you reintroduced ignorance into your life, and yes. stress and suffering will only follow. So thank you.
5: Yes, through self-reference and uh, egoical uh, view on things. Okay. Yep.
0: So,
5: it's then, like, it's at that point in time, uh, and it, it's mentioned here also in the, in the reading that uh, I had just... Uh, uh, just previously read, through direct knowledge and profound wisdom, they develop right, and here we go, through direct knowledge and profound wisdom, they develop right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right meditation that is dependent on seclusion, dependent on dispassion, dependent on cessation that results in releasing from clinging to wrong views. So that all occurs, and uh, in, in the way I view this is like, you know, from right view, and again, is with without self-reference, the whole eightfold path is from is is not is it's uh it's not self-referential there's nothing about it that's self-referential and that's to me that's profound right view and from there that's when you understand where uh craving and clean comes in okay and how it how it takes its place in dependent origination and again, uh, the whole mass of stress and suffering that occurs after that. So that's my understanding of it. And uh, so, if anything, um, what I try to do is uh, myself. I try to, no matter how uh, how simple the thought might be or uh, unimportant, so to say. But I try to do, like determine, like, is my view you know, is it is my view right view. Or is uh, there some self-reference in there? And I think it's that, it's, I think it's that, interest, you have to be that deeply introspective to understand it. Yeah. So
0: that's yeah. what I got. That beautiful, uh, Michael, you're describing a practical dhamma practice. It's right there when it happens. So, thank you. Thank you. Jane, good evening. Good to see you. I think you're, uh, I think you're still, there you are. There we go. How are you, John? I'm good.
7: I want to thank you and all the teachers for putting this together. Um, I appreciate it very, very much. Just what I need. Um, And I also, I can't wait till Sunday. I I am thrilled that we have a new teacher. When when Matt told me yesterday that David was going to be a teacher, um, I gave double fist (laughs) pumps.
0: I think we all did. David has
7: um, always had said things that, I mean, really helped me with my dharma practice. So I, I'm very happy that he's going to take a teacher role.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, we all are. The pressure's on, David. (laughs) And, uh. He got, he has the material down. Is that it? Uh Uh,
7: and the other thing, um. I really focused on when it said that um, the eightfold path has to be cultivated and methodically practiced. I mean, it's yeah. not something that you can do halfway. Yep. No, you, know, you got to be all in. Yep. And you know, in it for the long haul. So.
0: Yeah, so that's. Thank you. I'm sorry, Jane. Thank you. That's described as right effort. You know, that that's all. I don't mean to minimize the effort, but that really is all that we have to do, is to maintain the effort and integrate the eightfold path. Thank you. Jen, good to see you tonight.
1: Hi. Hi, John. Hi, everybody.
8: <laughs>
1: um, I, I, I think I'm actually like experiencing some kind of, I've been like trying to organize my thoughts for the last few minutes, to, but I don't know if I can, I don't think I can do it. This Sutta you know how do you explain to someone that their experience of phenomena is not theirs? It's it's <laughs> totally <laughs> it's it's totally done here. It's it's amazing, but it's also, yeah. I'm I'm that I'm at like the 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 place of of understanding that phenomena. Even the phenomena that we experience may be. It's like as soon as we start experiencing it, it's has the potential to be self-referential. And just brings me right back to the idea that you just have to hold in mind the Eightfold Path all the time.
0: That's the and answer to your question. Can explain it. <laughs> oh, it is. What do you you sorry? I was saying what do you say to someone? And that's it. You take to the Dhamma. Yeah. Just like we've all done. You know, to to someone who's new, this probably sounds like a bunch of nonsense. In fact, it might even be off putting. I would I would be very careful of teaching this to a, a class that's brand new, in other words. But those that of us that know how to how to fit it in can see the profundity of it. But you know, we I was talking to uh, who was I talk I think Mora yesterday. And we were you I heard me say this on retreat too, the importance of meeting people where they are, not where you expect them to be. So me, as, a, as the world's greatest Dhamma teacher, I think everybody has my knowledge. So I teach from this, to use the word, a highfalutin space. Well, nobody's going to get it, is there? But, and it's also not like I'm minimizing myself or my knowledge. It's just a matter of knowing how to, how to meet people where they are. And I would say that our four and now five teachers, you all do that very well. Um, I, and I, since Karen's online, she, she's always there. She's always present with people. And that's a key to teaching the Dhamma, but it's also key to developing the Dhamma. We have to be present with the Dhamma ourselves. It can't be something that we're always grasping after or putting into the future, such as saying, well, I'm busy today or I'm tired, so I don't want to meditate today, but I'll do it tomorrow, and that type of thing. Or, you know, I, I know there's a good class on tonight, but eh, law and order's on, so let's watch that instead. We don't get there. We have to put in that right effort that we've talked about. But other than that, it is a very gentle and direct practice, as the as the Buddha teaches. So, thank you, Jen. Meg, it's good to see you.
9: Hi, everybody. Um, I'm not really sure I can say very much about this right now. Um, I'm I'm finding that I'm not that skilled with this uh, a lot of the time, especially right now. The times that we're living in are, are so. Um, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it. It's
0: chaotic, very, very chaotic. And, um, you know, you get into
9: discussions with people and, uh, and then I just find that I'm always trying to monitor, you know, like how, how much myself's getting involved in what is being spoken about you know
0: yeah that, that's yeah, pure dharma too
9: yeah and the, how the feelings come up and and i can usually tell what that with the other person and how they're responding you know mm. how intense the conversation is getting and then then i kind of realize oh okay i gotta pull back and and uh you know not that it, that that maybe we're getting caught up in it you know yeah and I, I think that's the hardest part about this is um, always the monitoring, and it's like this. It is a lot of effort, <laughs> and I guess that's where I'm at right now with it. Is that I'm, I find it, it's a lot of effort, and a lot of times I come up short um, of where I want to be, but I just keep trying.
0: <laughs> that that's yeah. You're continuing to engage in right effort, Meg. So good for you. Yeah. Um, so. This especially the beginning aspects of practice can be very challenging and even overwhelming. So it's one of the reasons why you'll always hear me say you have to be very gentle with yourself in order to get through this. Um, Again, our conditioned mind wants to get everything all at once. And when we don't, um, when it doesn't come easy, we start blaming ourselves often that, or it's just too complicated, or I'm just not smart enough or good enough or dedicated enough. All of that is an aspect of being harsh to yourself. So we learn to be very gentle with ourselves and take the Dhamma, like I just said, we take the Dhamma as it comes to us too. So if you, I don't know if your schedule, Meg's in Hawaii, so a completely different time zone, if you're going to be able to join us for all six sessions. But keep in mind as you're doing that, that you're not going to be able to get everything from all six sessions. But it eventually it just starts sinking in. And so a lot of the Dhamma is just bringing ourselves to that place where we can develop direct knowledge and profound wisdom, but then let the Dhamma work on us, you know, again, and that's another subtle aspect of a, of a well-concentrated mind where we're not reacting to the things that we're learning. Finally, and we just settle into it. And that's a, that's a peaceful practice, you know? So I'm so glad you, you joined us. And uh, uh, I would say you're developing the Dhamma just as it should be based on your questions, Meg. So thank you. Thank you. Karen, good to see you.
5: so good to be here so like I, it just feels like a family to me i just feel so connected to
3: all of you even though i feel so like light years behind all of you in the in this practice and this study um i just feel really strongly connected and i Mm. it means a lot to me i just want you to know that
0: thank you and i
3: just want to um thank you john for just saying what you just said which is that eventually it will start sinking in and i've been coming around here for a while now um uh and i probably don't put in enough effort but i am committed and it is starting to sink in and i'm i'm very pleased and and grateful for the support of all of you so thank you for sharing all of your wisdom
0: tonight Thank you, Karen, for those beautiful words. I, we all, I think we all do feel like a family. I mean, it really is. Matt and I are teachers. We talk about that all the time, How just how cohesive our sangha is. But I think it's because we, we do this one thing, and I guess we do it pretty well, is we just focus on the dharma, and we don't bring other things into it. It seems to work. So. And those who don't know, Karen is a director at Juan Dharma Center, um, where we have our, our physical retreats. Uh, And she always does such an incredible job of taking care of us and making my job very easy, too, or all of our jobs. So, again, thank you, Karen. You know how much I appreciate you. Josh, how are you tonight?
6: Good,
0: John, and thank you for the lesson. And this is a family. I think I'm the grandpa. Yeah. Where's Becky? Becky's a grandma. I shouldn't say grandma. I didn't start. Don't say I said that yet.
1: I almost said that. I almost said it before you did. Words right out of my mouth. She said it was like too too close to her bedtime. She can't do the evening sessions.
0: That's. I hope she joins us tomorrow.
6: Grandpa, grandma,
0: for sure. Yeah. So, what do you got to say for yourself, Grandpa?
6: Well, Meg, if you're if you're feeling confused, I want you to know that eventually you'll get comfortable with feeling confused. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so you're comfortable being confused Josh uh, well I'm pretty comfortable Wonderful. And, and, and it seems to
6: work regardless of my state of confusion uh, for some reason yeah. I was out there chipping some golf balls today on a patch of grass that didn't have snow on it and this guy showed up who uh, really has a different political viewpoint different than mine, and I I had the sense that he must be very, very upset now because I can't understand what he's going through now with the current events, and so I've made a special effort to be very, very nice to him, mm-hmm. and, and uh, uh, I, I think that's teaching me whatever his views are or anybody else's views are, I don't have to take personally, and and, uh, that's very helpful. In terms of uh, today's sutta, am I right in in assuming that the direct knowledge is based upon the direct knowledge of the three marks of existence, which you need to understand to get to the four noble truths and the Eightfold Path is enveloped within the Four
0: Noble Truths. As the that, Fourth Noble Truth, yes. It,
6: it is, is the direct knowledge of those facts, is that what leads to profound, profound wisdom?
0: Yes, and um, that introspective insight, that true Vipassana that you're talking about, we're going to begin that uh, that Vipassana structure study as soon as we conclude the Truth of Happiness course that i'll be talking about just you know later on this evening uh but yeah it, it is everything resolves around the misunderstanding of self in an impermanent environment anicca is the impermanence anatta is the misunderstanding of self that results in dukkha anicca anatta dukkha are the three marks of existence that we they're not the only marks of existence There are the three marks of existence that the dhamma teaches us we must have direct knowledge and profound wisdom of and it's you could really say it's disentangling those fabricated beliefs of self and the misunderstanding of an impermanent environment that ends dukkha in our minds and it's, it's really just saying the same thing it's going from wrong view to right view mm-hmm. and you're, you're right to say it's understanding those three things that's it mm-hmm. and anybody can do it so thank you you're not so confused grandpa hello ram
8: Hello, everybody. Um, good. Um, I'm really happy, uh, John, that you picked the the eightfold path as the as the theme for this retreat, because um, I, I keep uh, I keep seeing how easy it is for for what we're doing here the the, the restoration the Buddhist dharma um, it could so easily become some um, some scholarly kind of thing and yeah. uh, if we don't take the, the practical part right with it and actually
0: base it on there um, it's, it's just a huge waste of effort um, completely here we have these
8: beautiful teachings that are so coherent um but they really only make sense if they're practiced
0: yeah and practice in the right context
8: and practice in the right context yes um so i'm very glad that that we're just going to uh, take a big bite out of out of the the actual path and and really uh, work it over and and see how all this works in practice? How mm. we put this in our lives? How we get from the from the teachings to that calm mind? Yeah. Uh, so, thank you very much, and um, I'll uh, I'll see how this develops.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. The um, the restoration process. Um, really didn't begin until I understood what the Buddha actually awakened to, meaning dependent origination as expressed as four noble truths. Because understanding that, I was able to fit all the other rather confusing suttas into that context because that's all they ever taught. And that's what makes a sutta like this make sense and be useful because it's all presented in the right context as the Buddha intended. Um, So a a, a few things to keep in mind uh, over the weekend – uh, and this is something I, I always give this little speech on our our physical retreats up at Juan. Um, and I know you' we're not in a secluded environment, but as best as you can, as you go through the weekend, hold in mind right speech, right action, and right livelihood, and particularly right speech. watch what's, watch what's coming out of your mouth uh, to other people. but as importantly, watch what the, watch the story you're telling yourself. Right speech is really the most powerful entry point we have. And it's really the the, um, the most effective check we have on our self-referential views. And and so, again, just keep that in mind. Practice noble silence when right speech is not um, informing that. In other words, the noble silence is informed by right speech. There's nothing noble about forced silence, meaning, okay, we're on retreat. Let's all agree we're not going to say anything to anybody. That's not anything the Buddha taught. The Buddha never taught silent retreats, by the way. And we don't hold silent retreats because in a silent retreat, there's no opportunity for what we just did, which is have a direct experience and develop that profound wisdom of having the Dhamma. You can't do that in in mere concept. So keep that in mind, keep the tenets and the framework of the Eightfold Path as your guidance uh, for this weekend. Um, And then uh, there's something else I want to talk about. Oh, just going forward, the We have a new burgeoning sangha that has a lot of enthusiasm that meets Thursdays at two o'clock. It's based in London, but it's really international. And we are starting with them. Uh, We just started last Thursday, uh, the Truth of Happiness course. And I encourage any of you to have the time uh, to join us uh, just to support that new enthusiastic sangha, Thursday, two o'clock. But we're also going to um, run another version of the Truth of Happiness for our, if you will, Tuesday and Saturday classes. Um, and so that will be on Tuesday and Saturday, we'll each be doing a class. So while the Thursday class is going through one class a week, the Tuesday and Saturday group class will be going through two classes or two chapters a week. And all the information and instructions are on the website. We're going to do that even a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to ask you all, and it, again, this begins, uh, Tuesday for our Tuesday groups. Uh, to, to read the chapter, read the introduction, in other words, and the first chapter, uh, write a paragraph or two about what you learned, uh, any questions you have, and as we progress, what the following chapters, how they relate to what you've already learned, and then bring that to class. I'm not going to read from the book. I'm going to give a, uh, a general talk about whatever the topic is. In other words, Tuesday, I'll be talking about jhana meditation in a general way. Uh, next Saturday, you will we'll be focused on the four foundations of mindfulness. Um, so I'm kind of leaving it up to you to read the suttas and then I'll talk on that and we'll have a discussion. So that's coming up. And then right after that, on our Tuesday, Saturday group, uh, we're going to start the, uh, the 36th class Vipassana introspective insight, uh, structured study again. Uh, and then we'll probably do the Dhammapada later on in the year. So that's where we're going. we got a lot going on, uh. Thank you all for joining. Does anybody have any other questions or comments uh, about tonight or where we're going? It might be someone
10: with glasses on posing as a Dama guy
0: in the back. I didn't. uh... Hey, Kevin, what do you have to say for yourself tonight? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, (laughs) I forgot to hear. I don't know. Yes. Sorry, Kevin. (laughs) All right. Well, I really enjoyed the contributions
10: of all of you. Uh, David, um, I would like to Again, express support and admiration and and, um, just for for you continuing your practice and and becoming a teacher with us. I think that's going to just be fulfilling and joy for all of us. So thank you. Uh, I liked what you had said about experiencing sort of that joy of release and and coming to that. And that's sort of what the Buddha is describing, how we experience appropriate. From, from the viewpoint of right view, you know, for after we understand that we don't know something such as the four noble truths, we develop right yeah. view, and experience phenomena arising and passing away appropriately. Um, further, I like what Julia said with the metaphor of the house. This is a beautiful sutta that we've become acquainted with over the years. And I think the house uh, in, you know, I, I like what you had to sort of led it there. The house maybe is a metaphor for the mind and, as Matt, teacher Matt said, you know, we practice for a calm mind and, and what we do is have insight into the three marks of existence and it's our job to practice the effort to keep our house clean with the people that come in and out of it, the places that, or, or the dust that comes in and out of it, that we bring in and out of it. We, we have to do that work. We've got to sit down and in seclusion and, and that's what we experience. Josh mentioned through direct knowledge, that's the direct knowledge, in seclusion yeah. We know we're practicing for calm. We go out in the world and we say,
0: "Hey, wow, this this is
10: something else. We, it's something's different now." You know, we, we experience the phenomenon appropriately. We've developed our practice, and uh, I really like that how you've all built that house for the weekend. We're all going to be <laughs> residing in the Dhamma in our little house, and you know that's that's the meaning to a practitioner in here. This is this is about you know the house as our mind and how we build it, how we fortify it who we let in there and the home that we make it and the home that we share with the world. And, and all of you do such a wonderful job with the dharma <laughs> and Rom. Um, You know, you express that too with the practice and, and we've really got to, we have to directly experience it ourselves and, and mm-hmm. you're such a uh, testimony to that. So
0: mm. that's all I got. It's Friday. So well, right. Wonderfully <laughs> said, Kevin. Thank you. Um, Hey, John, I'm yes. I
3: wanted to say something. Please. First of all, I think heaven is a great closer. Right? Yeah. He just summed that so beautifully. Yeah. Right.
0: That's I was holding them off till the end, that's all.
3: <laughs> no, that was great. I mean, really. And um, great way to, you know, summarize uh, the kickoff of the weekend retreat. But, uh, you know, just to sort of reiterate as a student what you said about Um, you know, right speech as the place to start, right speech, right action, right livelihood for Meg and um, Karen who were, you know, um, uh, kind of positioning themselves as, as the new, new guys. Right. Melissa too. I I remember it like yesterday um, starting with right speech and it's a perfect time to do that because of what's going on in the world, the world is a flame, Right. And so the opposite of right speech can be noble silence. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a person with a lot of words and when I experience restraint and noble silence, I'm often shocked, you know, because I, Mm. I've never, you never, never used that. I've never, you know, uh, uh, experienced that. And so, I think that is a great way to start the retreat for everyone. And of course the people that are feeling newer to this is um, the, you get the direct reassurance that you're on to something by starting with right speech and right action. You know, you start looking at what you're doing, holding yourself accountable, Trying out something different, trying out the absence of speech in this environment, and then you will feel the direct reassurance that you are totally on the right track. So mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to share that. That's correct. Uh, I'm not a seasoned professional. I'm uh, not. I'm not well, wait, you're You're
0: a pretty good closer yourself, Mary. Yeah. That was really. <laughs> cool. that. Thank you for that. I
9: really
0: appreciate that that really helped me Yeah, thank you. it's really remarkable how supportive we all are of each other I, honestly I've, I've been in the, the Buddhist game for many many years and I've never ever been part of it like Karen was saying this family like this um, it, it really is just, just amazing and how uh, how free and easy we are with our direct knowledge and profound wisdom and sharing it with each other it's remarkable so thank you um, all right. This the uh, the schedule is on the website for anybody that that uh, forgets. But I think it's nine o'clock tomorrow, one p.m. tomorrow, and seven p.m. tomorrow, and then uh, nine and one on Sunday, I believe. But you can double check that. Uh, the the uh, the suttas that we'll be uh, referencing that our teachers will be reading uh, is on that uh, same page. If you want to preview it, you can. Uh, and have a wonderful, wonderful evening uh, framed by the Eightfold Path. Peace, everyone.
6: Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow.
8: Bye, everybody.
0: Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.